that John was perhaps the closest with Jesus. He was one of the three that were taken to the mountain of transfiguration. He was there at the at the raising of Jairus' daughter. It was John that was laying on the chest of Jesus there at that last supper. And it was John who was the one disciple that was with Jesus there at his crucifixion. And it is this unique perspective that John brings to his writings that I think we can glean from over the next few weeks as we take a look at what it means to have an intimate and close relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to take a look here in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, as we launch this series, John the Beloved. And I want to also, I'll direct your attention in just a moment to John chapter 15. John is the author of five books of the Bible, the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, then also the epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, three short writings in the back of the Old Testament or New Testament. And then also he is the author of the book of Revelation. But John writes here in his epistle to the church, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. In other words, John says, this message, this gospel, this this declaration of the life and of the ministry of Jesus Christ is not coming to you secondhand. It's not coming to you from something I read from a book. I, I didn't get this from a sermon that I heard from a, some preacher, but he said, I knew Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I've seen Jesus with mine own eyes. I've heard Jesus with mine own ears. I've, I've embraced him. I've been close to him. I, I know Jesus. I don't know about you, but in this day and age, I can think of nothing that's more critical and more important, more fulfilling than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, I declare to you that which is the word of life. Verse 2, if we can, the life that was manifest and that which we have seen and we bear witness to, which we declare to you, that is eternal life, which was from with the Father from the beginning, which we've seen, we've heard with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, He says, And these things we write to you, here is this purpose that John declares here, that we write these things to you that your joy may be full. There were five declarations that John makes in this first epistle, this first writing to the church, that there were five reasons why John declares that he writes these epistles. And the whole premise of his writing is that there is something to be gained through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. John writes these epistles. John, all of John's writings come from the perspective of someone that walked closely with the Lord. And he's urging the readers of his epistle. He's urging those who would take the time to study his writings to declare to them the power that comes through knowing Jesus personally. I'm not talking about a faith that was handed down. I'm not talking about a secondhand faith. I'm not talking about a faith that you heard about from a sermon or read in a book. But I'm talking about an intimate and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for yourself. 
And he says in, this, in his writings, I'll give them to you quickly, that first slide, five things he says that can be accomplished by just simply having a genuine and an intimate relationship with Christ. He says, one, it will provide fellowship with God and his people. That through knowing Christ, that you have fellowship with God. That God was manifest in the flesh. That, that God has come to us. That, that He is Emmanuel, God with us. And through a relationship with Christ, that we have fellowship not only with God, but we have fellowship with His people. How many are thankful for that today? That through a relationship with Jesus Christ, not just some form of religion, not just some external list of rules, but, but through a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is fullness of joy. How many know that you've sought joy? There were times in your life where you've sought joy in this life. You sought joy at the end of a bottle. You sought joy through another hit. You th sought joy through one broken relationship after another. You sought joy through success, through money, through wealth. But at the end of it, you found that there's something missing. But only when you came into personal relationship with Christ did you say, I found true joy. He says that through a relationship with Christ, that a relationship with Jesus has the power to overcome sin in our life. That sin is a powerful taskmaster. That sin is stubborn. That sin is hard. That sin will cost you more than you ever thought it would. It will keep you longer than you ever thought it would. That it will, it will, it will do more devastation in your life than you ever thought it would. But through a personal relationship with Jesus, that God, through the power of His Spirit, has the ability to change the desires of our heart and give us the power to overcome sin. Furthermore, a relationship with Jesus will prevent us from being deceived. There's something to be said about knowing the real thing to help you to understand that which is not. And finally, it gives us confidence, John says, in the day of judgment that we have eternal life. This is the premise of the writings of John, the beloved. He says that it's me that had walked with Jesus. I've talked with Jesus. I had fellowship with Jesus. I was referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he said, I'm not just writing this to you to declare to you about a relationship that I have only for myself, but I'm writing to you to extend to you the same fellowship, the same love, the same joy, the same confidence, the same power to overcome sin, the same fellowship with God and His people, the same ability to overcome this world. I've come to tell you today that through a relationship with Jesus Christ that God has given us the power to overcome. John chapter 15. He says this. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. He said, abide in my love. On one point, some of the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, what is the greatest of the commandments? And he said, all of the commandments hang upon this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, abide in my love. For if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The next few moments, we're going to just kick off this series here today as we focus on and emphasize what I think is the essence of our Christian faith. It's the essence of all of the writing of the scriptures. It's the essence of all that God has come to do and accomplish in our life, and that is to enter a fallen and a broken world into relationship with its Savior. And so for the next few moments, I want us to pray. We're going to preach on this subject, the beloved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house today. God, I've just got a simple little thought today, but Lord, I pray that you would minister to someone, Lord. God, I pray, God, that you would help God uncomplicate, God, a walk with God, uncomplicate, God, Lord, of faith today for someone. Lord, let it be just clearly defined and understood as a desire to know you, a desire to love you, a desire to obey you, a desire to walk with you today, Jesus. We give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. We ask it right now in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. <clears throat> Amen. So we begin our series here in the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John by reading here in this opening paragraph of this first epistle of our author, John this disciple whom loved Jesus and whom was loved by Jesus, in which John declares that which he has been a witness of, that which he declares was from the beginning, concerning the word of life and the person of Jesus Christ, and whom John declares was from the beginning and whom John now has fellowship with. And it is this fellowship, declares John, this direct relationship that he writes is the fullness of joy. And so it is that this declaration that John makes in his writing was not just some second-hand account of all that Jesus both did and said. No, John was not simply rehearsing something that he had read in a book. It wasn't something he was repeating from someone, something he heard in a sermon. This was not something that was passed down from his family or from his friends, but, but this was something that John had experienced firsthand for himself. And so he opens his epistle, and he declares something which he said, I have experienced by myself and for myself. I've heard it with my own ears. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've touched it and I've handled it with my own hands. It was a personal experience for John. This was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that he was referring to. And the premise and the, and the platform of all of his writings is that this relationship with Jesus Christ was not just something that I'm hoarding all for myself. It was not just something that I experienced in some little uh, journey, spiritual journey I had some several years ago with a man by the name of Jesus Christ. But this man was he who was from the beginning. It was he who is the word of life, the way and the truth. It's this Jesus Christ that John declares to us that he knew for himself and whom he invites each and every one of us to come into relationship and fellowship with Jesus along with him. I want to tell you today 
that right off the bat, the writings of John's epistle is about walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ. The writings of John the Beloved is that not only was he loved, not only was he the beloved disciple, but in Christ, through a relationship with Christ and fellowship with Christ, that we too can experience the same love and the same fellowship and the same joy and the same fulfillment of life that John has found through this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to just tell you today right off the bat that there is nothing greater in this life than knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is nothing more fulfilling than a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can search out everything that this world has to offer. You can experience everything that this life can offer. But at the end of the day, there is nothing like knowing Jesus for ourselves. It's a simple message today. But it has the power to change our life. You see, it all started one day while John was a young man. As recorded back in the opening chapter of his epistle and of the gospel of Mark. The Bible tells us that John and his older brother James were working for his father's fishing business. As one day when they were in their boat just mending their nets, minding their own business on the lake of Gennesaret. The Bible tells us that all of the sudden that this man Jesus came passing by. And he looked out on the water and he saw James, the brother of John. And he called to James, urging both he and his brother John to come to leave their nets and their father's business behind and follow after him. And so it was this context that John is beginning this journey in which he's writing to us about as he was just minding his own business, experiencing just his everyday life, working a job, when all of a sudden John heard the call of Jesus on his life and was willing to leave everything behind, his career, his family, and his friends in order to follow after the calling that Jesus Christ had upon his life. I want to tell you today that there comes a time in each and every one of our lives and we have to be willing to be sensitive to the voice of God in our life and we have to be willing to set aside all of the things that would hinder and all of the things that would hold us back in order to pursue that calling that God is placing on our life. And so he left behind his father's business. He left behind his father Zebedee and he went after Jesus. It was believed that John's father Zebedee and his mother, a woman by the name of Salome, were devout and God-fearing people. The Bible would tell us that not only did Zebedee own a successful fishing business, evidenced by the fact that he had employed not only his two sons, James and John, but he also had employed some other employees that were working for him as well. Not only were they successful, but they were also a God-fearing and a devoted family. The Gospel of John would mention to us that as a family, they were early disciples of John the Baptist. They certainly had been devout enough to follow after this man, John, this baptizer who was out by the Jordan baptizing, calling men to repentance, preaching that Jesus is coming, preaching that it's time to make straight paths for your feet. The same John that preached that God was getting ready to bring the high places low and the low places high. These, these John and his family were disciples of John. And so John's mother, Salome, was a devoted woman. The Bible mentioned several times in Scripture as well This shows us that Salome would be one of the more devoted followers of Christ, joining a group of women who we find in the Scripture following after and worshiping and ultimately giving their life in service to Jesus Christ. 
She was mentioned as the mother who came to Jesus on one occasion and requested that her two sons would be granted the honor of sitting on his right hand and in his left hand. In other words, she was bringing her children before the Lord, James and John, in petition and in prayer. She was a devoted woman. She was a godly woman. It was said that Salome, along with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, and James, who were said to have been present at the crucifixion, just looking on on the Lord from a distance, when all of the other disciples had left Jesus by himself upon his arrest in that garden, John and his mother Salome were there. These same women were together on the third day after that bringing spices to Jesus' tomb to anoint him when they encountered that angel who told them that Jesus had been risen and they had to go and tell the other disciples of the good news. They were the first preachers of the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so John had come from a hard-working family. John had come from a devout family. John had come from the context of a group of people that were seeking after God. But on this particular occasion, early on in his life, John recognized that while Jesus was passing by and when Jesus was calling out, that John was willing, that he had time had come, that he had to drop his nets, jump from his boat, and leave everything behind in order to follow Jesus Christ. And what we learn from the epistle of John and the life of John the beloved is that there is something that has to take precedence in our life. That if we are truly going to follow after God, if we are truly going to live for God, if we are truly going to make Jesus Christ a priority in our life, that a relationship with God has to be preeminent in our life. The very first lesson that we have to learn here today is that serving God and knowing Jesus has to be preeminent in our life. I want to tell you that when a relationship with God is preeminent in our life, when it becomes a priority in our life, that means every other opportunity, every other thing, every other occasion in this life takes second to what comes first, and that is seeking after the will of God in our life. I want to tell you there are a lot of things, or there are a lot of great things in life, that, that having a career is great, and, and having great relationships and is great and, and being successful. We encourage all of those things, but I want to tell you at the end of the day, when we stand before God, we're not going to be judged on how much money we had in the bank account. We're not going to be judged just on how many friends we have or how successful we were. I want to tell you, but when we stand before God, the only thing that is going to be matter is did we know him and did he take precedent in our life? The very first thing that we need to determine before anything else is that we are going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first and understand that all other things will fall in line after that. That John had his priorities straight. That a relationship with Jesus Christ took preeminence in his life. I want to tell you today that knowing Jesus is truly the greatest honor that we could ever have in this life. That knowing God truly is the purpose of life. As we read throughout our Bible, I want to tell you today, as amazing and as astounding as our Bible is, as it's endured the test of time, this Bible that consists of two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
with, with 66 books combined, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the, Old T- in, in the New Testament. This, this Bible that was authored by some 40 people that was written in several languages some 2,000 years ago from men that were found themselves at the heights of joy and other men that found themselves in the depths of despair. That Yet despite all of the differences and all of the variables of the Word of God, one astounding thing remains, and that is the Bible maintains one central theme in one central character and that is the redemption of God through the person of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you today from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Our Bible is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the Lord. As you read through the books of the Bible, you will find that Jesus is present in every single book of our Bible. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman who would crush Satan under his heel. In Exodus, he is the lamb of the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our great high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day, and he's the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation and judges. He is the judge and the lawgiver. And Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. And Samuel and kings and chronicles, he's the seed of David, the anointed of God and the reigning king. And Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. And Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of that which has been broken. And Esther, he is our advocate. And Job, he's our ever-living redeemer. And Psalms, he is our shepherd. And Proverbs, he is our counselor. And Isaiah, he's our prince of peace. And Daniel, he's the ancient of days. I want to tell you from Genesis to Revelation, It's all about Jesus. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's our Redeemer. He's our Deliverer. He's the King of glory. He's the Alpha and Omega. And I want to tell you that this life should always be about Jesus. There's nothing greater in this life than knowing Jesus. And what John shows us is that a relationship with Christ should take preeminence and priority in our life. But not only did John know Jesus, not only did John see him for himself, not only did John hear him for himself, not only did John handle him and behold him and embrace him, but the Bible would show us that John was close to the Lord. I want to tell you that as we jump into this study of the book of John, that we will find that this is an invitation not only to know God, but to draw close to God. See, not only did he know him, but John desired to be close to Jesus. And so John left everything behind to follow after the Lord. And he walked with Christ. He was close to Christ. Wherever Jesus went, John was right there with him. Whenever Jesus spoke, John was there listening intently. When Christ was on the move, John was right by his side. It didn't take very long as we read through the Gospels that we find that John became one of Jesus' closest disciples and he gained access to Jesus that seldom few others did because seldom few others were there. When Jesus met privately with Nicodemus, he brought John with him. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, it was John and Peter and James that were there. When only three were brought into the garden to pray, John was right there with them. It was John who laid on the chest of Jesus during his last supper. It was John who was the only disciple 
disciple to follow Jesus to the place of his crucifixion. It was because John was close to Jesus in those darkest moments when he was hanging on his cross in the final moments of his life that John entrusted John, that Jesus entrusted John to take care of his mother Mary. John walked with him. John talked with him. John followed him. He was there in the good times and he was there in the difficult times. And when all hope seemed to be lost, John had decided that I'm going to stay with the Lord. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to be close to God. And what I've come to preach and encourage you over the next few weeks is that we too have the same invitation that not only do we need to know God, not only do we need to understand who He is, not only do we need to learn everything we can about the Lord, but there is a difference between knowing and being close. I want to tell you that we all have an invitation this morning to draw closer to the Lord. I don't know about you, but the more I walk with the Lord, the more I desire, the more I want to be near to Him, the more I want to know His Word, the more I want to hear His voice, the more I want to spend time with him the more I want to understand that he is not just there in the good times of life but he's there in the difficult times of life I've come to just love the Lord today and what I've come to tell you is that not only does our relationship with God have to be preeminent but our relationship with Christ number two must be close I want to tell you today that God is drawing his church into a personal and intimate in a close relationship with Jesus Christ. He said the greatest of the commandments is not only would you know me, but that you would love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. You see, 310 times in your Bible, you are commanded, you are instructed, and you are encouraged to love God. Deuteronomy 10 tells us, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to love Him, to serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Joshua tells us in Joshua 23.11, Take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. The psalm writer says in Psalms 31, Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves his faithful. Jesus tells us that the greatest of all of the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And it's John that encourages us time and time and time again that we love him because he first loved us. I want to tell you today that sometimes we overcomplicate this thing. Sometimes we make it too difficult, but the reality is that if you want to be a spiritual person, if you want to be an overcomer, if you want to get your relationship with God back on track, if you want to get your life back, then you better make up your mind to fall back in love with Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is that we can get so busy on doing all of the right things that sometimes in life we forget the reason why we're doing it. And that is because there came a time When our God loved us so much that he came to this world, not to condemn the world, John tells us, but that through the world, through him, might be saved, that there was a time in each and every one of our lives when we were down and we were out, when we were cut off from the fellowship of God's people, when we were living far from God, when we were in darkness and sin and depravity, and there came that time where Jesus Christ reached out his hand and touched us and changed us and transformed us, and he's doing it to call us to a place of intimate relationship 
relationship with him, I want to tell you today that if you need something in this life, that it can be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, God proved to us that there is nothing that can replace intimate relationship with God. When mankind fell in the garden in Genesis, God proved that ultimately our own moral compass, our conscience, was not enough to perfect holiness, to maintain relationship with God. Our conscience failed us when Eve and Adam partook of that, of that, of that fruit. We find that over the space of time as God was trying to bring relationship and restore fellowship with his people that he instituted the law through Moses and through some 600 plus commandments, instructions, rules, and regulations. We find that ultimately that, that the law could not perfect holiness. In fact, it proved to us that just checking off boxes and going through the motions and just following uh, rules blindly is not enough to restore and redeem a lost people. But finally, the Bible shows us through this New Testament that when the fullness of time was come, that God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, and that was through the redemption that was offered only through what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that God broke that Old Testament law and He wrote His law on our hearts and it's through knowing Jesus that Jesus is able to accomplish the overcoming sin. That through Jesus, that Jesus is able to draw us, redeem us, and restore us. I want to tell you today, there's no greater invitation. There's no greater opportunity. There's no greater hope than that we would know Jesus Christ. Don't ever let this message become too plain. Don't ever let this message become too easy. Don't ever let this message become too basic unless we miss the purpose of life and the call of God upon each and every one of us. John tells us that there was a church in that first century church, the church of Ephesus. That they had everything right. They were growing. They were established. They had done all the right works. They had great discernment. They were, they were winning. They were, they were reaching people. They were growing. They had great ministry. They had great programs. They had great preaching. They had great discernment. They had great theology. But he says, this one thing I have against you is that you've lost your first love. I want to tell you today, sometimes we've got to just get back to the basics of life and recognize that our relationship with God has to be preeminent in our life and that our relationship with God has to be personal. You see, all throughout the Scripture, the Bible tells us that despite this call and this appeal for intimacy and relationship, that on several occasions there were those who, even though they had heard the call of God, even though they had received the, the tugging on their heart to draw close to God, that nevertheless they, they turned aside the same invitation that John offers us through his writings, we find that throughout Scripture, people received yet with much different responses than John. The Bible tells us on one occasion that as Jesus was journeying on the road, that he, he said to another man, follow me. In this particular occasion, this man said, Lord, I want to follow you, but I've just bought a field and I need to go see it. On another occasion... Jesus called out to another man just as he did to James and his brother John. And he says, Lord, I want to follow you, but you see, I bought these two oxen and I, I need to go prove them first. There's still some things I need to experience for myself. There's still some things I want to do. On another occasion, Jesus called out just like he did to John. 
He said, come follow me. And this particular man said, Lord, I will follow you, but I must first bury my father. Jesus, we find in this chapter, in Luke chapter 9, where he's rehearsing all of the rejections and all of those who put other things ahead of them, who did not place the relationship with God as preeminent. He said, if anyone would desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would desire to save his life will lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what profit would a man to gain the whole world? forfeit his soul. I want us to stand here today as we launch this midweek Bible study series. I want us to recognize something very simple yet very profound and that there is nothing in this life, every head bowed, that can take preeminence or priority over our relationship with Jesus Christ today.